Alright folks, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. This is our post snowpocalypse. Is that, is that snow snowpocalypse? Snowmageddon. Or as John Stewart said, South Parking. He had a really funny clip. I don't know if you saw him. Oh my gosh. Was he on during the No on the day after something. He was wow, it was really it was really funny. I mean, you know, poking fun at us. Because it kind of builds up the situation like, oh my gosh, people are stranded, kids are sleeping in schools, people are sleeping at Home Depot, no one can get home because there's two inches of snow. He just, the way he does it, it's in the delivery. I mean, look, it is what it is and you can't drive on ice and, you know, what are you going to do? I'm getting a call from Kroger, Toko Hills. How random is that? Literally, I'm literally getting a call from Kroger. Anyway. That's the bigger question. <laughs> Guilty as charged. All right, so uh, we are up to chapter six. So today I want to talk about authenticity and living authentically. By the way, thank you, Rini, for sponsoring today's spread. Much appreciated. Amidst the storm, a hero emerges. Uh, let's pass these down. Do we, do we send these around? Do we? We should. Living authentically. Oh, living authentically. What does it mean to live authentically? What does it mean to live with your authentic self? Where does it come from? What does it look like? What does it mean? And why are we talking about this in the first place? So, let's, let's get into this topic. We live in many different ways. We can live, you know, uh, for many of us, at a certain point in our lives, we think we start feeling like, I really need to be true to myself. Enough being true to somebody else. Enough living life in a way that's not true, not, that's not authentic. I got to be true to myself. I got to be authentic. The question is, what does that mean? What does that mean? So authentic means, the truest definition, the mystical definition of authentic is that when you're, when you're living with your essence, with the essence of who you are, with the essence of who you are, your deepest core, that's called authentic living. So spiritually, for the Jew, certainly, what does it mean to live authentically? It means to live with your Jewishness. Because that's the spiritual core, that's the spiritual essence of who you are. That's your spiritual DNA. See, there are many different roles that we play in life. We might be a banker, we might be a lawyer, we might be a singer, we might be a might be a rabbi, might be an artist, we might be many different things. But the truth is that that phrase is a misnomer. Because I said you might be these things. Those are things those are not things that you are, those are pretty much things that you do. So I am a scientist, I am an artist, I am a musician, I am are you that or is that something that you do? There's a big difference between the two. See, there's what we are. Sorry, there's who we are. And there's what we do. Good morning. And the two are not synonymous. The two are not synonymous. Because you can do something and not be it. Like the story that I always tell from Bertrand Russell, who taught ethics, and who did something that was not so ethical, and he was called out by his colleagues who asked him, one of his colleagues who said, how are you doing something unethical if, you're, if, you, if you teach ethics? And he said, I also teach trigonometry, and I'm not a triangle. <laughs> In other words, 
You can teach something, you can do something, but you might not be it, that might not be who you are. So the same thing is true in our lives. There are things that we do and things that we are. For example, one example, many of us are parents. And parents is not something that we do necessarily, although it's also something that you can do. You can be a parent. You can do parenting. You can parent, which is, I guess, a verb. To parent, parenting, which is the action of acting like a parent. But a parent is really and truly a definition of essence. In other words, if you have a kid, you're a parent. Whether or not you parent that kid, that child, you are a parent. See the difference? Now, certainly a parent should strive. Someone who is a parent should strive to be a parent. Sorry, let me, let me rephrase that more accurately. Someone who is a parent, someone who be a parent, who is a parent, should do a parent. That's a parent. It's a parent. What you're saying is quite a parent. You're with me. In other words, certainly if you are a parent, you should verb, you should parent, you should do the parenting that comes along with it. But the two are not mutually exclusive. In other words, the concept of, of, of being a parent is something that is essential and not something that is what we do. It's something that a person is. Now, a person can also do it. A person can choose not to do it. But it doesn't change the fact that that's part of their core identity. So let's, one second, so let me just round out this, this concept. So what that means is like this. What is living authentically? It means getting in touch with who we really are and understanding that the things that we do are just things that we do and they can come and go, but they're not going to get in the way of who we truly are. So for example, let's talk about a parenting example. It's a safer example in the sense that it's not so spiritual. It's not so religious, so it's safer. So you have somebody who is a parent and a banker. A parent and a banker. And a person can think, okay, these are two things that I do. I'm a parent, I do parenting, and I do banking. Two things that I do. So some days I'll focus more on parenting, some days I'll focus more on banking. Because these are things that I do, and you can't do everything at all times, so therefore, something's going to have to give. Until such point in time, God forbid, a person, let's say, God forbid, God forbid, a person is confronted with a serious life challenge, for example, illness. And a person's mortality flashes before their eyes, but more than flashes before their eyes, they're living with that reality now. Now they realize, though, wait a second, I have to reorganize my priorities. I have to figure out what is really, truly important and what is not so important. In other words, who am I? And what are the things that are relevant, that are, that are the Hebrew word is noigea, what are the things that touch my essence, that touch my core? And what are the things that I do, but at the end of the day, after 120 years, whether I did it or not, it wouldn't really, really be such a big deal. And a person comes to the realization in this example, that you know what's really important to me? What's a core value? 
Not an assumed value, not something that I do in my spare time, not something that I do even most of the time, but something that is part of who I am, and therefore I cannot, I cannot let it go, is that I am a parent. And so therefore, facing this illness, again, God forbid, person says, facing this illness, <coughs> I am going to dedicate myself, now moving forward, I'm gonna, my kids will be my priority. My spouse will be my priority. These are priorities. And the banking, the banking is the banking. The banking will, we'll bank today, we'll bank tomorrow. If we don't bank today, there's still another day for banking. Banking. In Yiddish, you would say, Sephard banking. It's only, at the end of the day, it's only banking. What's, but my kids? It's not something that I do. It's something who I am. It's, it's, it's part of who I am. My spouse. Myself. So there are very few things that are really part of our core identity. Very few things. Most things are things that we do. The problem is, and we've discussed this many times, is that the world associates, <coughs> society associates the things that we do with who we are. To the point that you meet somebody and you ask them, so what do you do? As if that's going to tell you something about who they are. Something that th- that's something that they're doing, that's not something that they are Okay. So spiritually, we have the same concept. Spiritually, we have the same idea of authenticity. In other words, there are things that we do in life. And choices that we make, and compromises that we make, and we say, I don't have so much time to do all the things that I would like to do, so I have hobbies, <coughs> I have spiritual values, I have, very, I have lots of different things that I can do. So I'm going to shift some attention this way, so shift some attention that way, but maybe I'm not focusing so much on my spiritual core. Comes along something that threatens to rip that away from me, <coughs> and I say, I can't live without this. I can't live without my core connection to God. That's what I can't live with, without. So I can live without the hobbies. I can live without the Super Bowl. I can live without all of these things. But to rip away my spiritual core, my spiritual DNA, that I can't do. And so this is the experience, really, of Hanukkah. As he explains in chapter 6 and chapter 7, which we're going to get to today, please God. Of victory of, in victory of light. Or chapter 6 and 7 of victory of light. <coughs> and that is, that the response of the Maccabees, the, the response of the Hasmoneans, the Hashmonayim, was one of, it, it was a response that emanated from their essential core of who they were. It was a response of authenticity, of authentic living. It's putting forth who I really am. I cannot be something, I cannot live Something that I'm not. <coughs> in other words, you Greeks are telling me that I need to live a life that's not in concert with my authentic self. So I am telling you that I can't live like that. Because that's not life. Living life not with my authentic self is not living life. It's living a lie. It's living, something, it's living somebody else's life. It's not living my life. <coughs> so this is, this is really what we're getting to here in the text. And we're going to start reading it on page 50. We're going to use Kabbalistic terminology. But I want you to understand that the, that the issue, or that the, the, the subject, is not just 
a mystical discussion. It's not just a, even a spiritual or religious discussion. It's a discussion that pertains to us in every aspect of our lives. In other words, at any moment, we can ask the question, am I living authentically or am I living non-authentically? Am I living true, with, in concert with my true self? Or am, I li- or am I living life doing things that don't reflect my true reality? Am I just doing things? Am I banking? Am I driving? Am I shopping? Am I eating? Am I doing these things? Or am I living authentically? And living authentically means that I'm living in concert. I'm living in... I'm living in... I'm living consistent with my deepest, truest essence of who I really am. This is the distinction between the two, the two methods of living. So I'm wondering... <coughs> Some of the things that we do are manifestations of our identity. So, for example, if you're a teacher, there's teaching, but as a teacher, you are guiding lives of children Correct. in a way, manifesting the spirit What you truly, exactly. So we're going to get to in chapter 7, that how do you know when you're really living with your core essence is when it affects everything that you're doing. And that everything that you're doing, <coughs> somebody, when, when they look at you, they say, that person is living authentic. That person is living with their ideals. That person is living with something deeper and not just going through the motions. Because when that person teaches, you can tell it's coming from their kishkas. <coughs> it's not just that they're teaching a subject. They're teaching, them, they're teaching from within. They're teaching their essence. It's a different experience. So we're going to get to that. A hundred percent. You can tell, as he says in Yiddish, it's recognized as does tota mesiris nefesh. There goes that you could see that this this discourse is in Hebrew. There's one line in Yiddish. It's the line that says you can tell on a person, and you can see there goes a self-sacrificed Jew. In other words, somebody. Hey, oh Ed. So we're we're still doing the construction. So the the Hebrew school. The Hebrew school is over at, at IJP, at the preschool. Cool. Do you know where that is? Okay. Awesome. <coughs> All right. So does that make sense? All right. So let's read this inside. Did we? I don't. I, I, if we did, did we? We're going to do it again. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do it again because we have to look at it through the lens, not of yichida and not of jugs of oil, but authenticity and true self. Um, okay. One. Of, okay. Right, so let's let's read this again. This is like Groundhog Day. We're going to repeat <laughs> in honor of Groundhog Day. We're repeating what we did, huh? Did it. I'm repeating it again. Alright, it's page 50, the second paragraph, where it says the level of Yechida. The level of Yechida is not susceptible to blemish or impurity, God forbid. What that means is your true, truest authentic self can never be altered or tampered. Because it's who you are. So it can never truly change. If it changes, it means it wasn't your authentic self. It's like, I know what I really want. I really want to be a painter. That's really, like, that's my, I, I need to be a painter. Rina, did you get the right copy? Okay. The good news is, there's an app for that. Yeah. I.e., I got a copy right here. Pass it down. I saw that. 
look of disappointment. And then I looked over and I see, wait, that looks like the beginning of the discourse right there with that caption. I'm like, wait, that does not look right. All right. So the, the, the whole, how do you know when you've reached your core, when you've reached your authenticity, your, that place of, of authentic living? It's the part of you that doesn't change. It's the part of you that's not subject, susceptible to blemish or impurity. It's the part that cannot be tampered. It's the part that when you are threatened, comes out. We gave the example, when your kid is in danger, so you, you put your life on the line to save your kid. Or if your life is in danger, so you, you do what you can to save your life. When your spiritual identity is in danger, you do what you can to, to save that, to rescue that. Because it's who you are. It's not something that you can just sacrifice. Because if you can sacrifice it, it means that you have something else to fall back on. It means that there's something still deeper that still remains behind. We're talking about when you hit something, that after that there's nothing deeper. In other words, there's nothing behind. If you give that up, then you've given up everything. If you let that go, you have nothing left. If I let, if somebody lets the child, okay, all right, so I'm not going to save them, I'm going to let. If that's who you are, so what do you have left? It's a difference between, I think, feeling lonely and alone. The alone is when you have, don't have that core at all. There's no connection. And lonely is just nobody to watch the Super Bowl. It's not bad to be, it's not bad, well, I don't, yeah, the cement, it's not, alone or lonely, one of those two, it's not so bad to be. Alone. Yeah. Alone. Well, I'm not sure, whichever, which, however, which, however you, however, right, however we want to, whichever word we want to use in English, it says, Vayavasar Yaakov Levado, and remember when Jacob struggled with the angel, Jacob remained alone, and that's when he got into the fight. It's a fight for your core identity. And that typically happens alone. I'm just wondering how much of it is what you really literally come into the world with, your nature, your essence. Right. And how much of it is uh, acquired in your family and your culture. Right. That's a question. That's a question. And how deeply do those things that we acquire, how deeply do they get to the point that they can become part of our core identity? Well, our Jewishness, this, this posits that that's part of our spiritual DNA that's hardwired. So that's not acquired. Fam- certainly parenting is something that's acquired. You weren't always a parent. But that's something that's acquired. But once you acquire it, it becomes part of... It's a biological fact. So it becomes almost hardwired that that's who you are. So can it be acquired? Yeah. But we're definitely talking about things that are much deeper than stuff that we do, surface stuff. <coughs> And the point is, when, when life is on the line, because that's the most severe example, when life is on the line, what values come out? What becomes like critically important? When somebody's staring death in the face, are they saying, wow, I really need to do more banking? Or are they saying, I have to live more, I have to be more spiritual, I have to be more in touch with my spiritual identity, I have to be more in touch with my family identity, with my core identity, get better, get more in touch with my spouse, get more in touch with my kids, get more in touch with my community, get more in touch with my God, etc. These are things that come out typically 
when life is on the line. And after 120, person's on their deathbed, you rarely find people that are regretting, you know, we say this many times, not doing enough banking. It's like, I wish I would have <coughs> done more banking. It's not a core value that typically comes out. I was just going to say, um, <coughs> it's that saying, there are no atheists in platforms. Yeah. Yeah? Similar. So there are other parts of the soul that are, sus, are suspect, are susceptible to blemish or impurity. It can change through experience, etc. The echida is the quintessence. Is that we did talk about this? We spoke about quintessence. It's the core. It's the deepest core of the soul that is immutable. So it's a part of God within us. So it can't be any other way. Can you give an example of of a part of our soul that is susceptible? Our, the parts of our soul that deal with experience. You know, you can, there are emotional parts of our soul. So the emotional parts of our soul that are more excited about God one day and less excited about God the next day. Today I'm excited about praying. Tomorrow I wake up, I'm not in the mood. Today I'm excited about giving tzedakah. I want to extend, I want to volunteer, I want to do something. The next day I'm very self-centered. That's part of our soul. Where's it coming from if not our soul? But it's part of our soul that is... It's moody. It's got ups and downs. It doesn't have that... It's the part of our soul that deals with the body. And so based on the, the temperature of the body or the experience of the body, the experience of the soul is also going to change. When we talk about a part of the soul that's absolutely unchanging, immutable, etc., that's the core, core, core of the soul. Now, in general, you can say, well, that is the soul. The rest of it is the body. It's not, not exactly true. If you really break it down, there are parts of the soul that have the experiences, that share the experiences of the body as well. Those are the parts of the soul, by the way, that need to be cleansed after 120 years. Because it's the part of the soul that gets a little bit, you know, dusty, dirty, sullied by the experiences that we had. Otherwise, if it's not susceptible to blemish or impurity, so then you, never, you don't need any purgatory. You don't need any cleansing, which we understand is a cleansing process. Why would you need a cleansing process? The core of the soul is pure. So after 120 years, the soul separates from the body. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile, you're good to go. But it's not, it's not so simple because there are parts of the soul that are bound with our experience. And also, when we didn't do what we needed to do, it also didn't do what it needed to do. And when we did what we shouldn't do, it also did what we shouldn't do. And, and it's, it comes along for the ride. And it also gets moody. And it also starts saying, hey, I also like these material things and those material things, etc. So there are parts of the soul, nefesh, ruach, neshama, the lower dimension of the soul. <clears throat> they go through the journey of life not unscathed. Scathed. Anybody say that word scathed? Or is it just unscathed? Unscathed. No, no, no. It doesn't go unscathed. Unscathed. Well, there has to be a scathed if there's an unscathed. You would think, right? But usually it's unscathed. Unscathed. So it's not unscathed. Is the, are the other dimension of the soul. It's not unscathed. I can't even speak. Okay. Yeah. So godly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Even the godly soul has these experiences. Yeah, you know, you're asking a great question. Even the godly soul, it says, has shares the experience of the body. 
It does. It does. It, even though the godly soul says, I love God, I, 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 but at the end of the day, if today I say, I'm lazy, I don't want to pray, and even that's come from the animal soul, the godly soul is along for the ride. It's not, it's not, the godly soul is not like, okay, y'all do what you're doing, I'm going to sit here and pray inside. The godly soul, part of the godly soul is bound with our experience and is, look, the animal soul, you can say, hijacks, kidnaps the godly soul and it schleps it along for the ride and all of that is true. The point is that there's a part of the god. In other words, let's, let's, start, let's start with this approach. The default is that the animal soul is going to pull us in the negative direction or in the earthly direction. But since everything, we're one being, we're not different beings, at the end of the day, we're one person, so the God soul also comes along for the ride. So when I am wasting my time and not doing something positive or doing something negative straight up, my godly soul is in that moment, in that space. Involved also against its will and that action. So I've kidnapped it, I've bound it. This is exile. This is the exile. What does it mean exile? It means that you're taking something and putting it in a place where it doesn't want to be and you don't allow it to express itself. It's being imprisoned. So I'm taking it, kidnapping, hijacking it, etc. That's the default. The chidush, the novelty, in other words, the, what we're saying that's out of the ordinary, the unexpected statement that we're saying, is that there is still a part of the soul that never goes along for the ride. Okay, and that's the, the yechidah. In other words, a person can say, I used to have ideals, I used to have, let's bring it, bring it real. I used to have ideals, I used to have values, I used to have, but then you know what, life got the better of me, and now I'm cynical, and I'm cold, and I'm skeptical, and I'm, and I don't trust people. I don't trust, I used to trust people, I used to have that part of me that trusted people, but now I say that's naivete, and I don't believe in that anymore, and people are rotten to the core, etc., the chiddush, the novelty is to say, you think that that's what you believe now. But deep down, you still have that place of purity inside that still has faith in people, that still believes in something greater, that still, that still is connected on a deeper level. And that can never become truly blemished. And when push comes to shove, that will hopefully come out. If you, get into, if you truly look for it, you'll find it. Because it's there. Emotions, this can express itself in an emotional way. But it's not emotions in the sense that emotions are here, there. Emotions are all over the place. Emotions are volatile. We're not talking about emotions. We're talking about core values, core identity. Yechida is your core, very simply. Yechida, which means singular, oneness. Yachid is one. It's that, talk about alone, it's that oneness. Oh, as I mentioned before, so it says, Jacob was alone. It says this reflects God's loneliness. Or God's onlyness. But just to get back to this question, so it's not an emotional thing. We're talking about core identities. What's your core identity? So, in this discourse we posit that what is our core identity? Our core spiritual identity is connection with God. It's an absolute, unbreakable connection with God. And when that is threatened, it will come out. It will come out in full force and say to all that will listen, and even to those that won't listen, that this is who I am, and I'm not going to allow this to be taken away from me. I can't. Because if I do, then what am I living for? 
Or more precisely, who is it that will be living? Because it won't be me anymore. Because this is my core identity. This is my definition. In other words, living authentically means finding out who you really are. And once you find out that, then how can you live any other way? You can do other things, but how can I truly live any other way? And if it comes to a point where the choice is giving up my truest definition of who I am, or somebody taking my life, so what's the choice? So uh, let me give up everything that I every let me relinquish everything that I am, my definition, my identity, in order to live. So who's living? Who's living? Who's left? A shell. What what's the purpose of living? That's why historically, again, we said this last week, a few weeks ago also, that's why historically Jews when faced with the ulti- with this ultimate test of faith, so to speak chose to be Jewish to the end. You want to take my life? That's on you. But I'm not going to, how can I give up, I'm not going to give up who I am. Because to give up who I am means that I have to ask myself the question, so who's left? Not everyone gets in touch with this, with this depth. And we don't, we don't typically live from this place. Again, look at the example of Parents. Parents who are by their definition parents because they had a kid, but who may not put parenting, which is the verb, as a first priority. Why? Because the, the, the because up until this point, the, the the perspective of parenting is that it's like banking. I bank and I parent. These are things that I do. But the moment that I the moment I read the, the moment I get in touch with the truth, with my authentic self, i.e., the moment I start thinking about, okay, so what is it that makes me, and, and who is it that defines me? Who am I really? <coughs> At that moment, I realize, well, wait a second. There's something a little bit deeper here. Parenting is not just something that I'm doing; it's something that I am, and therefore, let me put a little bit more. Let that be a little bit of a greater focus <coughs> in my day-to-day experience. Sorry, I know you want to get back. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's good, it's good. It's just something that you're, it's reminding you of something you said. I think that one of the things that we, ways that we not struggle is the that coming up is that what you're talking about is something that is, that for us in life, I mean, from the, from the moment is, is clouded, obfuscated by right. the world. Yes. And I remember a story, it wasn't a story, it was a little you know, whatever it was, an anecdote, um, of saying that, that um, uh, in the womb, the child is, t- an angel will tell the, everything to the, the child, whole time, yeah, and yeah. they touch them right here, and they forget. But that story, that's what this is reminding me of, is that essence. Because as soon as you're born, all of the world distracts you. Right. So it's there, but it is, it, it's a... Is it really an angel, or is it just emerging into the world? Well, that's it, exactly. But, 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 what it, but, but what it says is that it is there, but we right. have, we're so challenged in connecting to it because, because the world that we live in um, complicates it. It's all about distraction. That's all. The world that we live in is a world of distraction, and it pulls us away from our truest essence. And that's why you find people that are, God forbid, facing illness, they live in a different way. Yeah. 
every moment is precious, every breath is precious, because they're living with their core. And their values are on their sleeve. It's like, okay, my family's important. I'm not going to work late at the office because I don't have much time left. We never have enough time left. But we, we convince ourselves. Uh, or we don't think about it. But at a certain point in time, you can't not think about it. Because that mortality, if you will, is staring you to the face. So this is what happened in the story of Hanukkah. So let's read the parentheses. And this is, this is key right here. This is similar to the one jug of oil that was found within the seal of the high priest still intact, since the outsiders were incapable of reaching it. So this is a key point that he makes. It's not just that they happen to find, that the Greeks happen to miss one of the jugs of oil. It's that that jug of oil, that core identity, no one can actually touch that. See the difference? You could say, wow, such a miracle, the Greeks happened to miss, so lucky for them that the villain was, was lame. You know, they were, they were, you know, not lame, what's the word I'm looking for? They were inept. So they were inept, they, they, missed, they missed the last little uh, jug of oil. It's not, it's, it's not due to their ineptitude that they missed that jug of oil. It's because you can't actually touch somebody's authentic... No one, no one can actually tamper with someone else's authentic self. You can tamper with everything, with almost everything else. You can mess with their head, you can mess with their emotions, you can mess with their reality, you can mess with so many different things. But the core, their core, we say, Judaism posits, Kabbalah teaches, that that's untouchable. Cannot touch. No one else can touch your jug of oil. That is That, that seal will always remain intact. And when you get in touch with it, you can reclaim that which is truly holy, that which is truly important to you. Continue, please. It is therefore through the service of self-sacrifice which stems from the Akita that the war can be won. So he says that where does the ability to fight back and to, in a sense, reclaim what seems to have been lost comes from Yechida. And Yechida will... The Yechida is, again, your truest... In this context, it's your truest, it's your truest spiritual core. But in any context, it's your truest core. And your truest core... He says, from that place, your service will be one of self-sacrifice. What that means is, I'm not capable, I'm not capable of any other way of living, of any other way of being. Self-sacrifice means that my life, I'll put my life on the line to live this way because I can't live any other way. So self-sacrifice doesn't mean I'm looking to kill myself. Self-sacrifice means this is how I need to live because I have to live in a way that's consistent with who I really am. So, is the Yehida always good? Yeah. Always, right? Yes. That's not self-sacrifice. That's what he means by self-sacrifice. In English, it may not translate, but that's what he means. That's what he means by self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice means that I'm willing to put everything else on the line. I'm willing to lose everything else. Everything else that's not authentic, I'm willing to do away with. Right, but that's superficial. All superficial. Correct. Self-sacrifice means, yeah, it doesn't mean giving up yourself. Okay, in English, uh, so what are you going to do? It's English. It's not, it's not what it means. Mysterious nefesh in the original, what it means is, when a person says, I cannot live any other way, 
then in true concert, then in a way that's consistent with my truest identity, with my authentic self. And therefore, if you say that if you want to live authentically, I'm going to kill you, so then I'll say, hey, buddy, do what you want. I'm not going to live in a way that's not authentic. That's what self-sacrifice means, and that's what historically Jews have done. It's, you want to put us into barracks, into concentration camps, and, and have us turn on each other and act... We're not going to do it. We're not going to not live authentically. We're going to live authentically. And you're, you're the barbarian. You're, you're, the, you're the one that's an untermensch. You're the one that's not human. You're not going to make us not human. You're not going to make us lose our connection. To the very end, we're going to sing Ani Mam and we believe. Shema Yisrael. Declare our faith in God. Because that's who we are. So you say, but you can't, but you can't have it. And if you want to have it, we're going to kill you. That's on you. We're not going to... But for me to say, oh, you know what? Oh, if that's how you put it, okay. So let me, let, me just, let me let go of who I am. Just so that I can live another day. As who? As what? So if it's not that important, if I have to give up banking, I'll give up banking. I'll do something else. I'll reinvent myself. But if it's something truly deep, and there aren't that many things at our core, at, at the essence... There aren't that many. If you can list more than three or four things, they're probably not your core identity. Your core identity is not that complex. It's not, it's not so much of a composite. It's a few things. You have a spiritual core. You have, which is your relationship with God, your unique relationship with God. You have a physical core, i.e. your physical DNA and those that are related to you, etc. You have, and your own life. You have basically two or three cores. That's it. It's not two or three chords, it's one core, but it's only a few ideas. Huh? Components. Somebody says, you have to give up your, your, you have to turn in your Sunday NFL ticket, or else. Fine. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll do without. Because it's not so... Not so core. It's not so horrific. But when you deal with something that is at the core... And how do you know it's at the core? It's that when somebody says, I'm taking it away, you say, but I can't live without it. Although that's not a great barometer. Because there are many things in life that we can say, I can't live without. As I said that, I'm like, wait a second, that's not... Don't always trust yourself when you say that. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So many other things can, can step in and try to replace that authenticity. But that which is truly authentic, we know it when we find it. Hopefully. Anyway, but this is the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah is not just Greeks and Maccabees and Syrians. And story of the, Maccabees, the story of Hanukkah is a story of one people trying to rip away the core identity of another and the other saying, but you can't take away our core identity. Because otherwise, what do we have left? Because otherwise we can't live. And so therefore, we're going to fight for our core identity. I'm going to fight for my child. I'm going to fight for my life. I'm going to fight for my... Because I'm going to fight for my spiritual identity. I'm not going to allow you to rip it away. It's not going to happen. And that evokes self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice means that you put everything on the line to retain your core identity. Whether that means dying or living. It's the same thing. You can live with self-sacrifice. You can die with self-sacrifice. Dying with self-sacrifice means that if somebody says, I'm going to take your life, you say... As I said before, 
Okay? I'm not giving up my true identity. Living with self-sacrifice means that every day I wake up knowing who I am, knowing what I need to do, and I do that. That's living with self-sacrifice, which is harder because it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing experience rather than a one-time decision that, is, uh, that ends it. So I have a question about the, the way that I, the core spiritual identity, yeah. Jewishness, manifests. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think of the conversions, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Inquisition. Right. I mean, when they gave up, and I was obviously the mitzvot are both ritual behaviors and core <coughs> to being Jewish. Right. Right. And so when they were saying, "I'll give up the." The behavior, but not the belief. Well, even they, 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 they really separate those. Two, right? well, they they said to themselves, "We're not even giving up the behavior, because in our basements, we're going to still do it." Right, but even to the extent they were limited, to the extent they were, to the extent they had to say, "There's six modified, right. maybe five hundred of them we can do in the basement, and thirteen just can't." Right. We can do the best we can. But my belief, my essential identity as a Jew, is unchanged until this bad situation passes. Right. Right. The, I guess the implication of what you're saying is that the you can't do that. that well, the point is like this: if you're living, if you if you're in touch with that authenticity, the the point is, and we're going to develop this in chapter seven, is that it will be manifest in everything that you do, including all six thirteen to the, to, to the heel, to the very heel. In other words, like through and through, and it's really living in a, in a, in a way that's consistent all the way through. You're living from your core to your fingernails. It's it's the same thing. You're not feeling one way inside, but doing something else on the outside. That's, we once gave the example of misaligned living. That's like your back is out of alignment. That's like you need a spiritual chiropractor. But then just maybe this, if this is too far afield. No, so the question is not how to judge them for what they did. No, no, I'm not thinking about judging but them. I'm just, I'm just saying in case that question is coming up. So the first answer, the basic answer is you can't judge anybody else in the decision that they made in a time of duress. Right. Whether or not that was the right thing for them to do, I'm not going to judge that either. Right. But what, what are we talking about? We're talking about making choices that are, that are consistent with our authentic being, with who we tr- truly are, with our, with our deepest core, in a way that expresses itself through and through to that essence. But couldn't you argue that everybody today, like if you're, if you're tr- the society is conspiring against this, right? There's no question. Like it's saying the whole concept of advertising and commercialism is this is the thing you can't live without, this car, this, right, right. this thing, whatever. And to the extent you fall, you fall short on any of the behaviors... Right. You are essentially letting you're essentially letting society win. Yeah, but we can't beat ourselves up, you know, for that because we live in a world and God puts us here and He doesn't. The reality is only it's sad that somebody who can live perfectly like that. The point is that <coughs> even if you're not at Sadak, you have this core, and if you're in touch and when you're in touch with this core, everything shifts, everything changes. Can you constantly live every day of your life with this? It'd be very hard. Should we strive to? Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is... Should we judge ourselves if we're not? Should we beat ourselves up if we're not living like this? And if we do get distracted? Yeah. But I'm not that's that's a waste. Judgment. I'm not going to the judgment at all. I'm saying if you... You could, you could say today to the extent... There's no gun to your head. There's no, there's no stake to be burned out. There's no gas chamber. But every day you are essentially being put to Oh, yeah. I, it's even harder. It's even harder today. 100%. It's even harder today. <laughs> Back in the day, you lived in a ghetto, you lived in a shtetl, you lived... There was societal pressure to look different, to be different. It, the whole society was set up to kind of evoke your uniqueness within yourself. Your inner society. Yeah. Oh, and the outside society. The outside society also said, oh, you're, you're Jewish, you can't do this, you can't... It, 
everything was aligned, both within and without, to get a person more in touch with who they truly are and understand that. Today we say, oh, you could be an American. So what's my core identity now? Am I American? Football? Apple pie? Thanksgiving? December holidays? Matzo balls? Gefilte fish? Synagogue? Seder? Circumcision? What, what is it? Which one? Cultural? Religious? Ritual? It's very difficult. It's more difficult today. It's more difficult today because you have all the options. You have the, all the options and therefore the question is, so who, <laughs> who am I? Easier if someone tells you who you are. Oh, you're a Jew. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're stuck in that certain community. It's easier. You're given all the choices. Oh, you can be whatever you want. So now I have to figure out, oh, so, so who do I want to be? It's important to remember that if you can ask the if you can make the choice, okay, who do I want to be? That means you're not really in touch with your true identity. Because if you were, it wouldn't be much of a question of who do I want to be. It's the question is who, who actually am I? It's like, okay, do I want to be a parent today or do I not want to be a parent today? That's if you're asking the question on a superficial level, more superficial level. It's the reality is, am I a parent or am I not a parent? Do I actually have a child or not? Huh? I'm thinking like some of super tramp. I don't know. Oh my gosh, how long ago was that? The 70s? The 60s? 60s. Please tell me who I am. And, yeah. Um, it's... So the thing is like this, when the Greeks come to the Jew and they said, then they said, hey, look, you should be like us. You should discard your, your, your identity. You should be like us, etc. So at that point, the Jews said, the Maccabees, and from there spread to the rest of the people or to a lot of the people, they said, oh, we, we know who we are and we don't want to give up who we are. But the reality is it's not so simple. It's, it's, <coughs> I think now on phones you could probably sing a few bars of the song. It could probably come up on the search. Are you saying it can't get you out of my head? What? The logical song. The logical song. Yeah, yeah. It's a great. It's a great. I'll tell you another song that comes to mind. What's that? NFL on Fox. It's a little uh, theme song. And for any football fans out there. Here is... I'm with you. <laughs> Robots. Yeah. So, if we can acquire a core element of our soul, does it work the other direction where... We can lose it. See, acquire... The only example that I can think of acquires parents is being a parent. They have a child. But then it's something... It's... Not a spouse? No, you can acquire that. I think you can acquire that. The question is, can you lose it? Tough question. I think with, with a parent, I don't think you can lose it. Because I think that there's potential. There's a potential parent. So the potential for that reality was always there. There's that identity. Even if it wasn't realized or actualized till later, but the potential is there from the beginning. 
even though, even though it's not the same, the potential and the actual. For the purposes of our discussion, it's going to make it easier to say that you can't lose it. What about a spouse? I don't know. Yeah. So the way the Jewish understanding of conversion is, the Torah says Gershon is Geyer, which means a convert that converts. A convert that converts. Not a non-Jew that converts, but a convert. A Ger, means a convert. Shen is Geyer that converts. Understanding is that they always had a Jewish soul. There was always that connection. Maybe over the generations, yeah, maybe throughout the generations they were, something happened and they somehow the soul got somewhere else where, you know, and it grew up in a family, in a context, whatever, that, that wasn't Jewish. But if somebody does a conversion, the understanding is that they, they have a Jewish soul, they have that, that, the, the unique Jewish connection, if you will, and that that's, that that's their core identity. That's the Jewish understanding of a conversion. Gershon Eskire. And it's straight up, it's from the Torah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a biblical verse. It says, Gershon Eskire, a, a convert that converts. It doesn't say a non-Jew that converts. It says a convert that converts. So the sages ask the question, why does it say the convert that converts? Before they converted, they were... How do you call them a convert before they convert? The answer is, because even before they converted, they were still a convert. In other words, they had that, they had that Jewish soul. Shush. It's <laughs> the problem. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what happened and how things happen and whatever, yeah. But my, my question is then, that I wasn't speaking about reincarnation. Necessarily. I wasn't necessarily speaking about reincarnation. Look, souls come down to this world. And God places souls in, in bodies. And God says, okay, this soul there, that soul there, and everything is designed. We don't run that show, and we don't know why one soul gets put in a certain body in a certain context. In general, we don't know. Why is this child born to that family, and why is this to have this opportunity and that challenge, and the other challenge and the other opportunity? We don't make that call. Who of us had the choice to determine into which family we would be born? I would love for anybody to answer yes. Right? You chose the parents that you were going to be born to, the situation, that, the upbringing that you had, you don't choose that. It's something that, you could say it happens to you, but more precisely, it was chosen. It was chosen. So, I'm not even, forget about reincarnation for a minute. I mean, that could also play into it, but forget about reincarnation. Reality is that different souls can end up in different places. And we don't know why, where, or whatever. And the understanding is that everyone has their connection, their unique relationship with God. And there's a unique Jewish connection. God says, look, if you're Jewish, you got 613 commandments. <laughs> Sorry, but there's a lot more. Right? There's a lot more. You got, you got, all these, you got, all, you got a whole list of stuff. That's tied in with, with, with the Jewish soul, with the Jewish experience, with the, Jewish, with the unique Jewish relationship with God. Now, can a Jewish soul end up not being born to or being brought into a, a, a Jewish family? Absolutely. That's the concept of conversion. But the concept of conversion is understanding it's not that you're creating something that's not there. It's you're actually reclaiming. Or you are you're actually finding, getting to the core identity of, of, of that person through the process. So there are opportunities. In your... You speak to, speak to many converts and they'll tell you 
And by the way, convert, it, it's, it's, in, in, in Judaism, it's never a negative term. It's never, this is not meant to be a negative term. It's, on, on the contrary, it's, it's the highest esteem. Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, his father was a convert. It's, Susan. The understanding is that, that oh, so you speak to many converts and they'll tell you that they were always drawn to Judaism. Always drawn to it. Always felt some sort of, you know, maybe when they learned about the Holocaust or they read about it, they were they felt. We don't know souls. When was the last time you saw a soul? We don't know souls. I know that, but like, can we truly? When you look at somebody, you can see maybe the personality. Maybe you can see a reflection, a manifestation of their essence. But can we really? Are we? Are we really experts in souls? Reminds me of a story with the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. Somebody came to him and said, why do you give so much attention to the simple folk? Why do you give so much attention? And this guy was a diamond dealer. He was a prominent, wealthy guy and also was learned. So he's like, you spend more time with us. Supporters and, 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 and intellectuals. So he said to him, do you have any, have any of your merchandise? Can you put it out on display? So yeah, sure. Puts it out. And the rabbi says, the, the Rebbe says, looks to me like this is the most valuable diamond. It's the biggest, whatever. He says, Rabbi, with all due respect, it's not the most valuable. It's not the most valuable. He says, why? It's the biggest. It's big. He says, there's more that goes into a diamond than just size. There's, right, the four C's, right? The clarity... Cut, carrot size. There's only one, and what's the fourth one? Facets. No, that's not a C. Oh, color and color. Thank you. I would have kept this up all day. <laughs> Super Bowl would be like, oh, color, right? So, human. So you have all of these. Yeah, you you gave me a reference, a Seinfeld reference the other week, right? Last week. Yeah, which one? An episode. That was a good one. I don't remember. Which one? I don't know. Um, I think it was you. Anyway, so here's the point. So he says, Rabbi, with all due respect, you have to be an expert in these things. You can't just go by what looks bigger. You have to be a mumcha, to be an expert. A maven, which is a Hebrew term, by the way. So the Rebbe says, when it comes to souls, you also have to be an expert. It's not just what it looks like on the outside. You gotta know how to look into a soul. What? Just because on the outside it looks like somebody is more learned, also oh, that therefore that they deserve more attention, therefore they're more valuable? Not so fast. Not so fast. You gotta be an expert on souls. What I'm saying is, who who amongst us can say that we're an expert on souls? So I'm only telling you, I'm not telling you what I'm saying, I'm telling you what it says here. If I told you what I'm saying, we would be in bad shape. I try not to tell you anything that I say. I try to tell you what it says here and give the most relevant applications that I can figure out. It says here that at our core is a connection with God. That's unbreakable. It's that cruise of oil that not only the Greeks didn't get to, they can't get to. They can't get to because it's part of the identity. You can't, you can't tamper with that, with that core. And when somebody gets in touch with their core then nothing else is true anymore. All of the other falsities and falsehoods and shtuyot and follies that, that they live, that all falls away. When you get in touch, the example that I gave is in touch with mortality, so you say, oh, all that banking that I was doing, maybe not so important. 
Maybe I really need to focus on what's really important in life. Spiritual connection, family connection, etc. This is what happens. That's what it means to be with self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice means I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to sacrifice, sell out who I am because I can't. And so therefore, I'm going to fight for who I am. I'm going to fight for the ones that I love. I'm going to fight for what's truly and deeply important. Why? Because it can't be any other way. Even to the end. I'm ready to go down for it because it can't be any other way. Let's finish off chapter 6 again on Groundhog Day and go into chapter 7. The same occurred in the war against the Greeks on the physical level. Through the self-sacrifice of Yahu and his sons, who the weak and few stood with self-sacrifice to battle those who were strong and many, and who thereby inspired the people of their generation to give their lives for the sanctification of God's name, to refrain from violating the religion in any way. It was through this self-sacrifice that they won the war. Notice, how do you reclaim all that you've lost? And they lost, by the way. They had lost up until then. They lost the temple. There were pigs offered on the altar. There was defiled... In other words, they were blemished. There was an effect that had happened. It wasn't a theoretical thing. Something, Greeks had made physical, psychological, even spiritual inroads on the Jewish experience. And then, they emerged from the depths, from the core of their being. And in this case, they were able to drive them out. And reclaim what, what they had, quote-unquote, lost. In our lives, it's the same thing. This is where I step in with the application. In our lives, it's the same thing. You think, I lost this, I lost that, I lost my innocence, I lost my belief in people, I lost my love, I lost my ability to love, I lost my ability to have faith. Whatever it is, I lost, I lost, I lost. Because life happened, this happened, this disappointment, that heartbreak, this disaster, God forbid, etc. The bottom line is, the unshakable, the, the absolute core value, if you will, of this discourse is that each of us has a core each of us has a core a spiritual core, an emotional whatever it is, each of us has a core, a core identity that can never be blemished, can never be made to be impure, can never be impacted, can, can, can never be tampered with and from that space you can reclaim everything that's been lost All right, chapter 7, page 52. <coughs> we, we broach new territory. Always dangerous. Folks, get the goggles on. The truth is, a lot of this stuff we, we spoke about already up until now um, in the intro. But it's, it's amazing to see it in the text and how he phrases it. In other words, just, just to give you kind of an idea here. Living authentically. That's, that's today's theme, living authentically. What is it? What does it mean? Where is it from? How do we get there? What does it look like? How does it express itself? All of these questions are addressed in chapters 6 and 7. What is it? It means living from your core, from your essence. What does it look like? It means living deeper. It means cutting out all the other stuff that can get in the way. How do you get there? You get there sometimes through pressure. Through facing the loss of it. Or being told you can't have that anymore. And what does it look like when it comes out? That's what we speak about right here at the top of chapter 7.
Ready? Take it away, please. Victory in war that is achieved through the service of self-sacrifice is a complete victory. This is because, firstly, the service of self-sacrifice, since it stems from the soul's essence, permeates all the faculties of the soul down to the faculty of action. Okay, so it's, it's very... He's speaking in spiritual terms, in mystical terms, and also a little bit theoretical terms. So he says like this. When you approach the battle of life from your core essence, in other words, you take on, you engage in the daily grind, not from a place of superficiality, not from a place of, I'm distracted, I'm banking today, I'll do some parenting today, I'll do some shopping today, but you approach it from, I know who I am. I know my core values. When you approach it that way, it's complete victory. What does it mean, victory? He he explains. Firstly, there's going to be two elements to this. So the first element he explains is like this. That it permeates all faculties of the soul. Your entire experience will be permeated by your core. In other words, everything that you do will be driven by this singular focus. As opposed to living a fragmented life. See, otherwise, we do many things during the day. We do some parenting, we do some working, we do some shopping, we do some, 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 some uh, highway uh, commuting. We do lots of different things. And they're all different things. And they're all distracted. Distracted from each other, distracting ourselves from... But when you live, when you get in touch, when you get in touch with your core, somebody, again, the best example I can give in, in, in a human experience not a spiritual experience, and a human experience is when somebody is faced with their own mortality. Somebody, God forbid, a person, God forbid, gets the news, you only have X amount of time to live. That person's life will change, typically, and everything that they do will be driven by purpose, driven by meaning. It's no longer just shopping. I see now as an opportunity to meet people, to interact with people, to connect with people, to learn about life. Every opportunity is driven by my claim to life. Life is valuable. Life is precious. Every moment will now be imbued with life. It's not just a drive down the highway. It's living. Happens to be living in this space, but I'm living. A parent. Every opportunity with my kids will be filled with not distraction, not complication, not, okay, one second, I'll get back to you. Well, what did you say? Oh, uh, every, oper- every moment with my kids will be filled with clarity and focus. And somebody who, again, I'm using this one example, but it's not the only way to get there. But somebody who is faced, God forbid, with, this, with their own mortality, you can tell, you can tell everything that they do, that they're living with, purpose. They're being driven by the really living. They're not just going through the motion, not just doing stuff because someone told them to do it. They're not just buying something because someone said you have to have it. (coughs) They're living deeply, purposefully, they're living with intention, they're living with clarity, and they're living in every moment, in every interaction, there's life in that space. It's not just motions, it's not just superficiality, it's not just external living going through the motions, it's deep inner living. Getting back to a spiritual space, because he's talking about this on a spiritual level, with our spiritual identity, somebody's in touch with their Jewishness. In other words, somebody gets in touch with the fact that their essence is their spiritual connection with God. 
In everything that they do, you'll be able to see that. And this is what he says in the next sentence. In everything a person engaged in the service of self-sacrifice does, it is evident that this is being done by a self-sacrifice Jew. In other words, you can see, it's a, and a, this is the line in Yiddish. If you want to see it, it's at the end of the first paragraph on the Hebrew side. The first word is nikar, which means it's recognized. But after that, it's Yiddish. <coughs> As does, it's nikar, it's recognized. As does tot That this is being done by someone driven by self-sacrifice. Why? Because the experience is different. It's no longer just wrapping tefillin. It's wrapping tefillin with intention, with purpose, with meaning, with significance. It's an excitement, it's a fervor. It's, it's, an, it's, it's not just doing a mitzvah, it's not just giving tzedakah, it's giving it with... Self-sacrifice. The examples, though, last week and this week, and I think even the week before, are often seem to be in the context though, of a tragedy. Yeah. The context of Hanukkah was a tragedy. Of people trying to rip away our identity. To that we fought back and we said, well, you can't rip it away. And when that comes out, everything that a person does, to the very smallest point, is being driven by that sense of clarity and purpose and that intensity. Can you get there without it? You can't. As we said before in our previous discourse, when we were talking about olives, self-squeezing olives, remember we spoke about that once? Sometimes you get the olive oil by pressing the olive. External pressure. question is, can we extract that? Can we get there on our own? The answer is yes. You've got to be a self-squeezing olive. So how do I do that? possible. How do you do that? Meditation, through thinking about how taking, taking, uh, taking true personal inventory. So, okay, what am I doing with my life? Is this really my core? Is this speaking to who I am? Is this really what I need to be focusing on? Who am I really? It's much harder in America. This is what we were talking about before. It's much harder here. Because back in the day, it was easy to have those moments of, of introspection. Okay, who am I? Today, Today, society says, be whoever you want. Oh, you so said, now you're leaving it up to my choice. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Now you're li- not only are you leaving it up to my choice of who I want to be, or who I think I am, even though I really am only one thing, but now you're, not only are you giving me the choice, but you're giving me the choice of when to think about it. So I can think about it today or tomorrow. Back in the shtetl, you didn't really have time necessarily to think about it, because a program happened, somebody came in, whatever, and, and now, you ha- now you had to think about it. You were cornered into that decision. It's not like we're pining for those days, like the good old days. Oh, the good old days with the pogroms and the Cossacks and the... And the oh, wow, life was so good then. We're not saying that. But the reality is that there's a challenge today. The challenge is, how do you vote that within ourselves? But you're right. But there are opportunities, moments of clarity that we have that put into sharp focus really who we are, what our purpose is, and allow us... To be more authentic. Look, we all go through midlife crises. crises. Do we all? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Some of us go through it on a daily basis. What is the definition of a midlife crisis? It doesn't have to be a midlife. But the crisis is really a definite. Okay, who am I? I know what I do all day. I know the career that I'm in. I know what I, what I wake up in the morning and do. But who am I? Is this really who I am? Is this really who I want to be? Is this real? Am I really living? These are the questions. I hope this is being true to the midlife crisis. 
don't want to speak not to a midlife crisis. But if you, if you didn't have this type of midlife crisis, it's never too late. That was a joke. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. I think of a wonderful um, Tibetan monk. His name is Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, he, he lives or he tries to live every moment authentically and mindfully. And he's incredibly inspiring. Would someone who is not Jewish be considered part of this well Judaism Judaism never looks at Judaism at itself as the only path of connection Judaism says this is the path of connection for the Jew the one who's not Jewish has another has another path of connection so yeah there's no there's no question that everyone has their their path we're speaking of, look, the context that we're speaking of is the story of Hanukkah, and it's a Jewish story, and that's the context. But this is a universal theme. Universal theme is that we all struggle with going through life and falling out of touch with who we are. Question it, and, and, and uh, the goal of this discourse is to remind us that it's important to fall back in touch with who we are. And when we live from that space, our life looks different. Spiritually, physically, Emotionally, relationshiply, making that into a belief, right? On every level, it's going to look different. He's saying the sun, the moon, and stars only were created on the fourth day. Right. So what was the light and darkness on the first day? Yeah. yeah. Was it a consciousness? Yeah, probably. An awareness. But there's also the potential for darkness. And darkness comes before light. It was evening and it was morning, day one. Evening and morning, day two. The Arab comes before the book, or the evening always... The Jewish day starts at night. Just to be different. <laughs> no, because... <laughs> That too, and because that's what the Torah says in the story of creation. It was evening and it was morning, day one. Evening and morning, day two. So darkness typically precedes light. It's just the way it works. And the reality is that you can't have a breakthrough without a challenge. It's very difficult. Otherwise, what are you breaking through? Um, okay, let's keep on reading inside. And this is the, what I mentioned before about the heel. This is similar to what it says of Abraham. I go, because, or, the heel of, Abraham listens to my voice. You talk about trying to, to do a drush, a drush, a, like, homiletical interpretation of a Hebrew verse in English. This is what it looks like. It ends up not, not, not making much sense. But continue. Because <coughs> that even his heel listened to, i.e. internalized God's command. So, yeah, what, is, what does that mean? The verse says... The ver- it does make sense? Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? How, does, how in the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it says about Abraham, it says in Genesis, God says like this, I am choosing Abraham. I'm choosing him. I'm choosing his kids. They're going to be a special nation. Why? Got to give a reason why. Akev, which can mean because, because, Akev, because, because Abraham listened to my voice. That's why he's special. Why? Akev, because he listened to my voice. Comes along Kabbalah and says, you got to read it differently. 
And this is the power of the Hebrew language, as we know. Hebrew language, there are consonants and there are vowels. But in the written text, in the Torah text, in the biblical text, in the Hebrew language, the vowels, not necessarily modern Hebrew, but at least certainly Lashon Kodesh, biblical Hebrew, the original Holy Tongue, the vowels are not embedded in the actual text. The vowels are dots and whatever that you can add on, but the core letters are sans vowels. So you open up the Torah scroll that's right behind us, behind me, in front of you, and you'll see lots of letters, no vowels. So now you come, you read the, read the verse, where God says, I'm choosing Abraham. Why? Because Abraham listens to my voice. The word Akev, Akev because. Guess what? You can take the same three letters, and you just re-vowelize. And it can become Akev. Akev. What's Akev? Instead of Akev, Akev. What's Akev? Heal. Like Yaakov. Heal. He's grabbing the heel of his brother on the way out. We spoke about this, right? Akev is heel. So, so therefore, we can reinterpret the verse. What is so phenomenal about Abraham? Not just because he listened, not just that he listened to my voice, but because even his heel listened to my voice. He was so driven by God and by purpose and by his connection that everything he did. He did in concert with his true essence. There was not one thing that he did that was just a distraction. Okay, I'm just, why are you doing this? Oh, I'm passing time. Oh, it's a hobby of mine. A hobby. You're living authentically. You're living with your core values. Nothing that you do is extraneous to that experience. Everything that you do, every part of every fiber of your being, is consistent, is permeated by, and consistent with your core value, your core values, your essence. What does that mean in practical and practitioneret? What does that mean practically speaking? That was Yiddish again. Practically speaking, this is what it means. It means when I am driven, in the example before, I'm driven by a sense of the value of life. I suddenly realize life is valuable, life is precious, and life is not forever, at least in this world. And so I'm driven by life. So nothing that I do now will just be for fun. We'll just, not that you can't have fun, but it won't just, just be because. Every part of my being is conscious, even to the heel of my foot. It's aware of the preciousness of life. Or the preciousness of my kids. Or the preciousness of my connection with God and my purpose in this, in this world. Abraham lived his life in, in a way that was truly aware. He was truly aware of his purpose. His purpose was to make God known in the world. That was his stated purpose. He said, I'm going to live my life and teach monotheism and bring the awareness of one God to the world. To a world that doesn't know this. Everything that he did was permeated with this. Everything that he did, down to his heel. There was not one thing that he did that wasn't in concert with this. In other words, what's the point? The point is like this. When you live not from an authentic place, when I say authentic, when you live on a more superficial place, in other words, this is what I do at work, and this is what I do at home, and this is all the things that I do, and it's all distracted, all disjointed. There's no theme that runs through everything. There's no theme that therefore carries everything. When I'm shopping, I'm shopping. When I'm driving, I'm driving. When I'm working, I'm working. And they're all separate tasks, and they're not related to one thing. And each task is not aware of how it binds itself to the other things. I live a very disjointed life. 
part of me is over here, part of me is over there. So when I'm working, my head is over there. I'm thinking about the Super Bowl. My heart is over there. I'm thinking about someone that I have my eye on. My hands are over here because I'm working over here on the computer. I'm all over the place. I'm distracted. What happens? What happens when? I, you, what happens when I live from a more authentic place? A place that when I get in touch with that, that in a sense takes over the experience. That's the definition. When you live from that place, is that it takes over the entire being. Then there's nothing that I do that doesn't speak to that purpose. So you're walking down the street. It's not just walking down the street. It's an opportunity to meet somebody, Abraham, right? Speaking about Abraham now. And share with them monotheism. When I'm shopping, it's another opportunity. When I'm at home, it's an opportunity to express my connection with God. Every opportunity, everything that I'm doing is an opportunity to express who I am. So there's a consistency that flows through it. Does this make sense? So this is one way, this is one expression of the completeness of the experience. He said, you achieve complete victory. The word victory is only in the context of the battle between the Jews and the Yuvanim and then the Syrian Greeks. Don't get victory. It means that the experience is a complete one. It takes you over in totality. But that's only one point. There's still one more point that we should, should begin. Truly alone. And I know you may have said that it's lonely and not alone. Leave semantics aside. The bottom line is that it's, it's similar to what you were saying before about that experience of being in solitude in a good way. Furthermore? Furthermore, self-sacrifice achieves a complete victory because there cannot be any opponent to the level of the Akita. There can be an opponent to rational service of God and even to super-rational service that is tied to rationality. But when a person awakens and reveals his level of Yehida, there can be no opponent. And I'm going to explain this quickly, because we're at 11 o'clock, and then we're going to close it out and go to the next bracket, which speaks about something else next week. Here's a very simple point that he says over here. When you are in touch, when you get in touch with the essence of who you are, with your core being, no one can talk you out of it. No one can talk you out of it. No one can say, oh, that's not important. When you recognize that that's who you are, when you... You're saying, don't put it past you. I said, I couldn't even talk myself. Oh, you couldn't even. Okay. I thought you said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, when you are truly in touch with who you are, it's like this. Let me give you an example. Parenting. So the, one of the better examples that I can give. Listen, it is what it is. These are my examples. Come up with your own. And share them, please. This is my example. So Parenting. So you say, oh, my kids are important, and they're so important, but I also need to work and put food on the table, and so therefore I need to bank. I need to draw. I need to sing. I need, whatever I need to do to make money. And because I enjoy it, and because whatever, this and that, and the other, we have all, all sorts of things that we do. And we also parent. So, But there can be an opposition to parenting. In other words, there will be things that get in the way of that connection with our kids. Wait, so why aren't you spending time with your kids now? Because I have something else that's very important. So it, it can get in the way. But let's say, at some point, you get in touch with that core value. And you say, well, wait a second. This is who I am. This is an authentic... It's not something that I do. I'm also a parent. Like I'm a banker. I am a parent. Remember I spoke about the difference between the two? Because when, you're, when you have a child, you are a parent. 
Whether or not you parent is another question, but you are a parent. You are not a banker. You bank. You're not a banker. You're somebody that does banking, but that's not who you are. Whereas a parent, so a person comes to this realization for themselves and says, I am a parent. You're right. I am a parent. I need to be parenting. This is a core value. This is true. This is authentic. This is real. This is essential. Yeah, but, but I just got an email and I want to check it out. When you're in touch with that place of authenticity and it's real to you, not just you know it, but it's re- it becomes real to you, then there can be nothing that gets in the way. There can be opponent, he said, to any, other, to any other level. Anything rational, anything emotional, anything that you've decided is valuable on any other layer of being, there can be an opponent. There's something else that gets in the way of that. But when you not, not when you decide that it's important, not when you choose that it's important, but when you get in touch with the fact that it's essentially important and it can't be any other way, then nothing can get in the way. Because how can something get in the way of your true essence? Make sense? So the point is that when your yechida, when your core, essential core is revealed, it reveals itself in everything that you're doing. You can recognize as das geta mesiris nefeshit. You can see that this is someone who's living with self-sacrifice in everything that they do. And nothing else can get in the way. You can't convince me out of it. You can't convince my. You can't convince me that it's not so important. What do you mean it's not so important? It's who I am. There's another point that he doesn't mention that I, I was thinking about this morning, and that is that it's so seamless, it doesn't feel like a lot of effort. It's like you ask people that lived in Russia back in the day, like during communism, and there were Hasidim, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and even the Rebbe also were in contact with, they said, you have, listen, it's a time now Judaism can become extinct here if we don't fight. And therefore, we have to do circumcision underground and we have to not pretend like we're not Jewish on the outside. But we've got we to do what we're doing and do weddings at 3 a.m. story of the Rebbe's father that I've told before who did a wedding and he called one of his neighbors that was a KGB officer and who was there in the building to spy on the Rebbe's father. And he called him as a witness because he was Jewish. He called him as a witness they need, or for the minion. They needed a minion for the wedding. He called him. And the guy didn't report it because he was so touched. People put their lives at risk. And then you ask, a Rebbe is a Rebbe. That's tzaddik, so on a different level. There's no, there's no other option. But you're talking about other people, people, uh, regular people, regular, regular people, who literally put their lives in line, spent time in Siberia, they were thrown, but they were 20 years exiled because of this, they got out. And you ask them, Mendel Futterfass comes to mind, a chassid, famous, tell stories. He's the guy with the tightrope that met the tightrope walker and he said, how do you do it? You look at the pole and then, okay. These people will tell you. When you say, how did you do it? You know what they'll say? Don't make me into a hero. I mean, how did you do it? You did it because you had to. You just did it because there was no other choice. What, you're going to let Judaism die? What's the choice? How could you save your child? How could you run into the thing? You're a hero. A hero, it's my kid. It's not a hero. That's what a parent does. What do you mean a hero? A hero is if he, 
You could have made a choice another way and you still chose to say... That's a hero. It's not a hero if, you, if there was no other choice. You look at heroes and they say, I don't know, I just did it. I just did it. I did it. That's the point. That's, when, that's another sign that you know that it's coming from a little, a little deeper. It wasn't, it's not a rational consideration, not a rational decision. When, it, when you're living from your authentic core, number one, it takes over every part of you. There's no opposition, but what it means that there's no opposition, it means you never thought twice about it. What that means is, it's not even something that you are so impressed yourself about. It's like, of course I did it. Like, what's, what's the other option? You fought for your life, yeah. What was I supposed to do? No? Nah? I mean, like, what? Of course I did. Of course, of course I... I built the mikvah. Of course I, I taught kids in a cheder underground at, at weird hours of the day so as to avoid the, the KGB officer. Of course I did that. Like... A hero. Save your hero worship for somebody that deserves it. it, it I, did, I, did, I did what I had to do. If you look at the people you admire most, their leaders, whatever, it's the things that they do. It's not the rhetoric that stands behind And it's the things that they do seamlessly. It's the things that they do just because that's who they are. Not that tells you that they're in touch. Tells you that they're in touch with their authenticity. And in society, sensationalized. I'm thinking of the woman who was at the... Um, with the president of the state of the union, the woman who talked the, that fellow down from shooting the... Uh, oh, yeah. over here, this lady at the school. Yeah, and... and Incredible. You know, and so I'm sure that at that point she didn't think, this is, you know, because I'm going to get invited to the state of the union, I'm going to sit next exactly. to the exactly. But then society creates, a, it sensationalizes it, and you're thinking, the problem, many hundreds of other people could be sitting in that chair. You know, you're thinking for it when you're in flow, and in you're moment. in that space, yeah, and everything's it. good, and... But it also can happen in times of crisis and yeah. trouble and pain, you know, that you are just in this in the zone. flow and you go. I'll tell you this. Or even here. The, challenge with the, the challenge with the sensationalization of it, there's a good, there's a value, and there's a virtue, and there's a liability in it. The virtue is that more people hear about good things, and it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. The, the, challenge, the problem is that when you make it to be something so big, and then you make it out of the reach of the every person. Like, wow, that's a hero, but I can't be that. And the truth is, it's not demand, nothing superhuman is demanded. Judaism says, just be true to who you are and to your values. Be true to your spiritual core. Be true to your family core. Just be true to the real things that are authentic. Live authentically. And you'll live a good life. Well, even here, I mean, just think about what has happened in the last couple of days and how many people... Yeah. Did, you know, just took, everybody took care of everyone else. You saw that Facebook page, um, yeah. Atlantis Note Out or whatever it was? You, see, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, which one? The woman started talking yeah. yeah. on Tuesday night. Yeah. In, in, less, in 12 hours, she had 50,000 people. It was incredible. Where people are, and people could say, I'm stuck, I know somebody that's stuck, can you help out? Yeah, people were all over the... And like, wow, and, here, and then and then it got it. People were exploiting it and saying, you know, I need money for this, I need money for that, can you help out? <coughs> and then it's like, businesses are saying, oh, come in for this, for this service, that service, free, and the pro- just here's our website, here's our... Ad. So that's the problem, you know, the problem. But the truth is, when you're living authentically, I think it's very simple. If, you, if you're trying to think about it and process it intellectually, you may get stuck. But just think about it without thinking about it. Think about it from a place deeper than, deeper than, deeper than the mind. And, 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 and 
kind of feel, if you will, what it would mean to be, what it would mean, or, or if you've had moments of living with that truth, and how everything would change, and everything does change, and how no one can talk you out of it, because what are you going to talk me out of? Myself? We're going to rationalize. And that's the experience that we had in the story of Hanukkah, and that's the experience that we have, that we can have in our lives. And it's a challenge here. It's a challenge in the United, in this U.S. of A. But listen, no one said no one said life is easy. Yeah. Yes, Shakespeare said, and I don't remember which play to thine own self be true. Yeah. The question is, so who's ourself? That's the question. And my my premise today is that we define ourselves in all the wrong ways. I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a this, I'm a bus driver, I'm a rep. Defining yourself at what you do is a terrible way to define yourself. Because all of that can come and go. Alright. Thank you all for joining. Thank you.